Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. It's Friday, June 30th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. St. Louis officials hope to stem gun violence among teenagers. A researcher suggests part of the answer could be investing in solutions other than law enforcement. People feel like they need a gun because their communities are violent. I think the quickest way we're going to get to people putting down their guns is creating safety in communities. Mike McLively of the Giffords Center for Violence Intervention speaks with St. Louis Public Radio's Lily Holleran in just a few minutes. The University of Missouri says it will no longer use race or ethnicity as a factor in admissions or scholarships. Nomeen Ujadeen has more. In a statement, the school says it values diversity and uniqueness, but it will now follow the U.S. Supreme Court's new legal standards relating to affirmative action and race. Only a small number of programs and scholarships at UM previously considered race. The university says it will honor previous scholarships awarded to current and incoming students. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey sent a letter to universities yesterday saying that considering race in admissions is illegal and schools must follow the Supreme Court's ruling immediately. I'm Nomi Nujiadeen. Other local higher education institutions are reacting to the high court decision. Washington University says it is reviewing that decision and how it will affect the admissions process. The Southern Illinois University System says its goal will be to work within all legal limits to abide by its commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The death penalty case against a Missouri man will continue after Governor Mike Parson lifted a roughly six-year stay of execution for Marcellus Williams. He was convicted of killing a former Post-Dispatch reporter in 1998. Parson says withdrawing the order allows the judicial process to proceed. The governor also dissolved a board charged with coming up with a recommendation on whether Williams should face the death penalty. An execution date for Williams has not been set. A new historical marker to be unveiled this weekend will commemorate the East St. Louis Race Massacre of 1917. St. Louis Public Radio's Will Bauer reports a Sunday afternoon event is free to attend. The East St. Louis and Illinois State Historical Societies will host the ceremony for the marker. That will be located at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville's East St. Louis campus, a location where historians believe some of the worst violence took place. East St. Louis Historical Society Executive Director Jay Willis says it's important for community members to understand how the massacre shaped the community and the region. This is critical information that needs to be shared throughout that community, not just the people that live there, but the people who educate people who live there. Over two days in July 1917, white mobs lynched, shot, and burned hundreds of innocent black men, women, and children over a labor dispute. I'm Will Bauer, St. Louis Public Radio. Metro Transit is offering $5,000 signing bonuses to attract new transit operators, mechanics, and electricians. The regional agency says the bonuses are necessary because of a national shortage of drivers and other workers. Metro officials recently cut routes because the system does not have enough operators. By State Development President and CEO Talpi Roche says the incentive is a way to show riders that the agency is committed to providing better service. As a reaction to listening to what the public is wanting, my board is authorized that we leave no stone unturned, that we try everything that we possibly can. 
Bonuses will be paid out in three installments over the course of a year. The next generation of materials that could replace plastics might come from St. Louis. Washington University has received a roughly $3.5 million grant from the National Science Foundation to study ways to use microorganisms to create natural, biodegradable materials. WashU professor Marcus Faustin says people usually associate plastic pollution with oceans. There's a lot of environments that are aquatic-based, um, so we're thinking about um, the Missouri and, and, and um, Mississippi rivers, um, the Great Lakes. And so we see a lot of plastic um, pollution that can happen in those environments. Faustin was a guest yesterday on St. Louis on the Air. Two mussels native to southern Missouri are receiving extra protection from the federal government. St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All reports on their inclusion as endangered species. The western and Wachita fanshell mussels will now be protected along 500 miles of rivers in Missouri and Arkansas. Will Harlan is a scientist with the Center for Biological Diversity. He says the designation is overdue and will put in a layer of protection involving federal actions along the rivers. It doesn't stop projects, but it ensures that projects take necessary measures, mitigation measures, to ensure that the mussels and their habitat are protected. Harlan says mussels are the lungs of a river system, and their presence helps keep water clean and helps other plants and animals. In Rala, I'm Jonathan All, St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis officials are trying to reduce gun violence among teenagers. Mayor Tashara Jones called for more youth programs after a downtown shooting left one teen dead and 11 others injured. St. Louis Public Radio's Lily Halloran asked Mike McLively of the Giffords Center for Violence Intervention about the city's priorities in addressing the issue. I think honestly where the city needs to start, and I think this is happening right now, is conducting a very thorough problem analysis, which it's like a technical term, but really it's just reviewing in an intentional way the shootings that have happened and figuring out like what are the commonalities where the communities where we need to be investing the most resources. And to me, it's really like scaling up the investment in the systems that address those risk factors. So it's not like any community-based organization, but those that are working on, you know, housing security, those that are working on behavior and mental health at the intersection of people who are involved in violence. Like that is where we're going to get the most traction on this issue. What are the risk factors that lead to increased violence among teenagers. Contact with the criminal justice system from an early age is one of the primary risk factors. Economic indicators, you know, lack of employment opportunities, living in communities where there's, you know, high levels of racial segregation, um, housing density and lack of housing, you know, then there's individual risk factors, obviously, of like drug use, being out of school, Not a lot of cities are set up to offer services to that population, but those who are making the decision to do that are seeing results. St. Louis, in response to youth violence, has extended the hours of its recreation centers in the city. Is that something that teenagers are interested in? We hear a lot from folks in areas where violence is high that there's a lack of services. So offering after-school services, that kind of thing, is an important part of the strategy for reducing violence, especially in the summer months when, you know, kids are out of school and there's more opportunity for them to be, you know, interacting with each other. So overall, I think, yes, there is appetite for that, but it has to be done in a way that appeals to them or else forget about it. On top of 
extending its recreation center hours. What else can the city do to make sure that youth are safe? You know, the city and county are completely separate entities, and a lot of violence that happens in the city and the county, they, they move across borders, right, and, and don't mind those political lines. And from what we've heard, there's still a lot left to do in terms of coordinating the work that's happening in the county, particularly the areas that border on the city and the city itself. That's still a lot of room for improvement there. What strategies are being used elsewhere to make cities safer for young people? We need interventions that are tailored to folks who are actually doing the shootings. One of the things we know is it's a very small percentage of any given population. So you really need to be able to scale up your kind of ecosystem to identify and intervene with those groups. So cities that are doing that well, I would say, are like Los Angeles, New York. Those are cities that had like 2,000 homicides in the early 90s and now are in like the low hundreds. So we've seen huge progress and St. Louis can do the same thing. It just requires building out a lot of systems um, and really bringing lots of different stakeholders to the table. I think for the longest time, you know, police have been thought of as like the only response to violence is law enforcement and policing. And there's so much more we can do with health and education and employment opportunities. Like all of those things are important when it comes to reducing violence. It takes this all hands on deck approach and the cities that are doing that all hands on deck approach are seeing more results. That was Gifford's Center for Violence Intervention Policy Director Mike McLively discussing youth violence with St. Louis Public Radio's Lily Halloran. Our David Casares edited that report. Before wrapping up, tomorrow is July 1st, Canada Day. It's kind of a tradition on this weekday extravaganza to mention it, although this year I was going to pass. Then, a few weeks ago, a high school buddy texted me saying he's only listened to two podcasts in his life and an episode of The Gateway was one of them. So, in case Carl is at the end of his dock on Calabogie Lake, just outside Ottawa, listening today, we're marking Canada Day with one of the country's best, Neil Young. I was born in Ontario, where the black fly bites and the green grass grows. Written by Neil Young and on 2012's Psychedelic Pill by Neil Young and Crazy Horse, that is, born in Ontario. Young was born in Toronto in 1945 and shortly after that moved to a small town roughly an hour and a half northeast. There you go, Carl. And to everybody else, happy Canada Day one day early. Ashley Listenby is the news director of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Theme music, as always, by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.